0: So, several years ago, I was given permission to go hunting on some private land, private property, and the landowner had also given permission for some other parties to go as well, and there were definitely some, some areas uh, on the property that were more desirable to be in than others, and it was generally understood that the those who got there first would get to kind of go out and choose and you knew if somebody's rig was at the gate already that they were probably going to be in that more desirable area and you get to pick from somewhere else so i wanted to get to go to that more desirable hunting area so i made sure that i got all my stuff ready the night before i wanted to get up early the next morning so i got my gear and my pack and i had it all ready and the next morning it got up and I, I grabbed my stuff, and I was out the door early, and sure enough, I got there, I was the first one at the gate, and I got, started getting ready, and I was looking through my pack, I was trying to find my ammo. And I, the more frantically I searched, the more my heart sunk, realizing that I hadn't put it into my pack. So I had to go back home, had to get it, Drive back by the time I got there, someone else's rig was already there so the point is, being unprepared had cost me now granted it wasn't a lot, but it had cost me the opportunity to be in this more desirable hunting area and as my experience illustrates, it is important to be prepared, not just when going hunting of course but in all areas of life, and this is especially true in the spiritual realm. God wants us to be spiritually prepared to face the challenges that come to each, each of us and every day so that when we face temptation or hardship, we will be able to rely on our faith in Him to help us through. But what about the life after this one? How do we prepare for eternity. The Bible tells us that at some point in the future, God will establish a new heaven and a new earth where we will live with Jesus forever. As we know, that hasn't happened yet. In fact, humanity has been waiting some 2,000 plus years for this. So how do we live as we wait for God's promise for the kingdom to be revealed? And what's the cost of being unprepared Jesus gives us the answer in one of his last parables, recorded for us in the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. As we unwrap this story, it's important to remember that those listening to Jesus would have understood well the wedding customs of that day. So let's go ahead and take a little closer look each of these sections. Verses one through five, then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise, for when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. The first thing we want to look at is that this parable is told to illustrate a part of the kingdom of heaven, the time when Jesus returns. In the parable, the bridegroom represents Jesus, and the virgins represent those who proclaim Christ as Lord. Also, we see that, that the setting is a wedding ceremony. The wedding in these days was a celebration of singing, and dancing, and feasting that could last up to seven days. However, the time of the ceremony itself was not set in advance. On the appointed day, the groom would come when he was ready, and he would send a friend to announce that he was on the way. So the bride would appoint some friends to keep an eye out for the groom like these women in the parable. Some Bible translations call them bridesmaids, but a Jewish wedding did not have anything like our modern version of bridesmaids or groomsmen or ushers. The best translation is virgins, which simply lets us know that these are young, unmarried women. When it's announced that the groom is coming, their role is to accompany him and bring him to his bride. Because the wedding ceremony takes place at night, uh, and there are no porch lights or street lights or flashlights, these young women needed lamps uh, to light their way. The lamps, it might be worth noting, or if only for a a better mental picture, are more or less a torch. Oil-soaked rags, stuck on the end of a stick. So while everyone else is partying, the women on watch had to stay prepared for the coming of the bridegroom because they didn't know when he would arrive. And if the bridegroom delayed long enough, which we'll see in a moment, then they needed to be prepared with enough oil to last through the night. Not taking enough oil would be for them, like some of us going out to the woods at night with a flashlight for an unknown amount of time without any extra batteries. Think of the trouble we would be in if our flashlights died. So would be the trouble of these young women if their lamps ran out of oil. So in verses 2-4, through we see that there's a comparison made between the wise and the foolish. Now, all of these virgins in the parable profess to be believers. We see that, see that by their actions, that they are all waiting for the arrival of the bridegroom, and all are expecting to enter into the feast. In this story, we can make a distinction between the two. The wise virgins are true believers, those with a true and abiding faith, while the f- foolish virgins are those that claim Christ But but do not have a true faith. We can draw a bit of a parallel here with the parable of the sower found in Matthew 13, verses three through seven. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some of some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. These foolish virgins can be likened to the seeds that fell on rocky ground or among thorns. For whatever reason, their faith did not sustain. As we move on, we read that there was a delay in the groom's arrival. Apparently, the groom would often show up late. Sometimes he delayed simply to be mischievous and keep people guessing. Sometimes he delayed because he was getting nervous. Sometimes he delayed because he was negotiating the deals of the financial settlement. Whatever the reason, he has not arrived until well into the night. In verse 5, we can compare the delay of this groom with what we might call the delay of Christ in His return. Just as there were several possible reasons for the delay of the groom in the parable, God has His reasons why He has not sent the bridegroom to return for His church. We often speculate on reasons why He has not returned. Well, there's one that I can think of, at least, he is waiting for all the peoples of the earth to hear the good news of his gospel. In Matthew 24, verse 14, it says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. More importantly, though, uh, he, has, he has his reasons and our part is to trust in his sovereignty, and that he will come at the right time. Matthew Henry puts it this way, but though Christ tarry past our time, he will not tarry past the due time. Further in verse 5, one other thing we can note is that both wise and foolish became drowsy and slept. While this wasn't a good thing or preferable, it wasn't entirely unexpected either. After all, we are all to keep watch, but at the same time, life must go on, and we cannot live our lives on a constant high alert. That brings us to verses 6 through 10. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will be not enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. The scriptures tell us that Jesus will return to gather his followers for eternity. And when he returns, we will enjoy an incredible banquet with him, like a wedding feast, and it won't even need to be gluten-free. And like the groom in the parable, Jesus won't arrive when we want or expect. He could wait another thousand years, or he could come today. In verse 6 in the parable, midnight is a generalization of a time unknown to us, and pretty obviously it is not an exact time. In Matthew 24, verse 36, it says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So how do we live while we wait? How do we ensure that we are prepared? How do we have an enduring faith? For us, there is one essential that keeps us prepared, and that's symbolized by the oil for the lamps. As followers of Jesus, We have the light of God within us, and we we can let God's light shine in our lives. How devastating, though, if our lamps go out. Lamps are fueled by oil, and the oil represents the faith that comes from the assurance of our our salvation. Faith is the only thing that will sustain us while we wait. I believe it's important that we not just skip over verses 8 and 9. We can draw some principles from this as well. We noticed that the wise virgins did not share their oil with the foolish ones. This, I don't believe, is an injunction on sharing, nor a promotion of selfishness and unconcern for others. First, on a practical level, it would not have been prudent for them to share oil with with them for all of the women to run out, leaving the whole party literally in the dark. Secondly, from a Christian perspective, we are not to scold or reprimand those that are unprepared, but give care and concern. The phrase, but for the grace of God, there go I, comes to mind. Notice that the wise virgins gave the best suggestion they could, go and buy oil. They did not chastise, even though they were likely aware of the results of those young women not having enough oil. Because they were not prepared, however, the foolish bridesmaids were left behind. This brings us to verses 11 and 12. Afterward, The other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. As Bruce has mentioned the last couple of weeks, one of the hallmarks of Jesus' parables is the twist he adds that would have taken his listeners by surprise, some element of the story that doesn't jibe with their understanding of how things were supposed to go. From what we understand of first-century Jewish weddings, after the bridegroom and wedding party had entered the house for the feast, the doors would be shut in order to keep out thieves or uninvited riffraff. However, if guests arrived late, the door would certainly be opened to let them in. The twist here is that the door was not opened for them. At this point in the story, I suspect that Jesus' listeners would have done a double take. And if they had been paying attention, they would have understood the gravity of what it meant in terms of the kingdom of heaven for the door to be shut and not be opened for the foolish young women. The seriousness of this point is illustrated in these passages. Luke 13, verse 25. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Matthew seven twenty-one through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, "'Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, "'and cast out demons in your name, "'and do many mighty works in your name? "'And then will I declare to them, "'I never knew you. "'Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness.'" In Matthew 25, verses 31 through 34, "'When the Son of Man comes in his glory "'and all the angels with him, "'then he will sit on his glorious throne.'" Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This stark reality is that it was too late for these foolish virgins to enter into the wedding feast, just as, at the final judgment, it will be too late for those to enter the presence of God who do not have a true, enduring faith. With this, the parable is ended. However, the author of the book leaves us with one further admonition. Verse 13, Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This refrain echoes the theme of the parable. Be ready for Christ's return at all times, because it could happen at any time. This might beg the question, though, are there signs to look for? Can't we know when Christ will return? There are some scriptures that speak of it that may give us an idea or not. John 21, 20 through 23 says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? you follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not going to die. He was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? In this instance, some early believers thought that the return of Christ would happen during John's lifetime. We know that that did not, the apostle John in his first epistle, written most likely near the end of the 1st century, had this to say in 1 John 2:18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that antichrist is coming, so now many antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. John, declaring that it is the last hour, seems to be speaking of an imminent return of Christ. Again, it is clear that this has not happened yet. What's more, on further inspection, we realize that the last hour refers refers to latter times or latter days, which is another way of describing the time period between the first and second comings of Christ. This means that we are currently living in the last hour. As as were all who have lived since Christ came to earth, as will all, who live until he comes again. One other scripture that I would like to point out gives us some insight into what signs we could look for that indicate the return of Jesus is near. Matthew 24 verses 5 through 8 says this, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Some of these things sound like they could describe our world today, and indeed they could be signs that the return of Christ is near. There are two observations of this passage that give me pause in saying that we can use it to predict a time for his second coming. First, I would submit that nearly every believer who has read these verses from the time they were written has looked at the world around and thought that they could apply to the current time and state of the world. Second, and I shudder to th- shudder at the thought of it, when I read verse eight. I can't help but think that as bad as things in our world might appear now, it's going to get a whole lot worse. But take heart. Our hope is not in the world. Our hope and faith are in Jesus Christ. And no matter what, he will be with us to guide us, support us, and sustain us. Now to wrap up the point about whether we can know when exactly Christ will return, no, we can't. The previous verses serve to illustrate that people at different times in history have suspected or expected Christ would come again much sooner than He has. In light of this, the exhortation of verse 13 is all the more important. Watch, therefore. He could return at any time. How then... Do we apply principles from this first-century parable to our 21st-century lives? Here are three ideas. First, don't let the light light fade while waiting. If our oil runs out and the light of God is extinguished in our lives, then we will be like the five foolish virgins who missed out on the wedding banquet. Without faith we will not be prepared to accompany the bridegroom into the kingdom of God. Our faith is something we sustain over time. The foolish virgins did not have a sustained faith. They only had a limited amount of oil that would run out quickly. We may all know someone uh, like that, or we have heard of those who have said something like, I know I'll be in heaven because I got baptized when I was 14 years old. That person may have made a confession of faith and may have intended to live for God, but along the way, this person has demonstrated no evidence of faith in his or her life. This beginning of our journey with Christ is the time when we light our lamps, but we need to keep filling them with oil so the light of of God will shine in our lives. Faith is to be lived each day until the bridegroom comes. If we abandon our faith, we likely end up living a self-directed life rather than a Jesus-directed life. I really like reading Matthew Henry's commentary. Here's how he puts it. Note, too many good Christians, when they have been long in profession, grow remiss in their preparations for Christ's second coming they intermit their care, abate their zeal, their graces are not lively, nor their works found perfect before God. And though all love be not lost, yet the first love is left. If it was hard to the disciples to watch with Christ an hour, much more to watch with him an age. Second, our faith must be our own. Just as the foolish virgins couldn't borrow oil from the wise virgins, faith cannot be borrowed. I can encourage you to become a person of faith, but I cannot give you my faith. So even if the wise virgins wanted to help the foolish ones, they couldn't. Faith is not something we get secondhand. Here's one example of secondhand faith. Out of a sincere desire to express their own faith and out of a sincere desire to dedicate their children to God, some parents have their babies baptized. I've not seen this in person, only on TV or in a movie, but I'm sure it's a beautiful ceremony. Yet for the baby, it's an act of borrowed faith. The parents, with love and hope in their hearts, are trying to pass their faith to their baby. As we believe, it doesn't work that way. Faith can't be borrowed. That's why the apostles Peter and Paul urge each person to express his or her own faith by choosing to submit to baptism. When I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior as a teen, I wasn't borrowing oil for my lamp from anyone else. When I was baptized, I was declaring before God and witnesses that my faith was my own. I was filling my lamp with my own oil, my own faith, to declare my allegiance to Jesus. You see, our faith must be our own. Number three, don't leave the preparation until it's too late. Our preparation for Christ's return must occur before the bridegroom arrives and it's not wise to wait to choose Jesus. If anyone is thinking, I just want to indulge myself now and I'll get right with God later in life, that sounds like playing with fire, because we don't know when the bridegroom will show up. Matthew, in his gospel account, says in chapter 24, verses 43 and 44, but know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Matthew Henry says it this way, The day is coming when carnal hypocrites would gladly be found in the condition of true Christians. This is because none of us know when we might draw our last breath and stand before God. As we see in the parable, once the door to the heavenly banquet hall is shut, it's closed for good. So the time to put, our, put oil in our lamps is always now. For all of these reasons, the wise way to live while we wait is to live by faith, to continually fill our lamps with oil through worship through active participation in our local church body and the larger community of believers, to pray, to read the Bible, and to let God fill our minds with his truth. That's how we stay prepared for the arrival of the bridegroom. In addition, we cannot let the circumstances of life distract us from our bridegroom and drain the oil from our lamps. Think about all that goes on in our world that serves to distract us, a pandemic, inflation, fuel prices, and election results to name a few. I'll admit that I get caught up at times with a frustration over politicians, which politicians are elected and the policies they choose to enact. And I'm not immune to being discouraged by the soaring cost of gasoline. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be involved in fighting for what is good and just and right. But ultimately, our faith is not to be placed in the results of elections, but in Jesus. Faith and trust in him is what will fill our lamps. Only Jesus can sustain us. Church, let's embrace the words of this parable and continually fill our lamps with the oil of faith. Let's worship and pray and point each other toward the bridegroom so that his light will burn brightly in us and through us until he comes and calls us to be with him for eternity. Let's pray. Lord God, we are thankful for your word, thankful that you teach us and that you share with us through the parables that Jesus taught. Thank you that you are our hope, that we can put our faith and our trust in you and know that we have a certain future with you. We thank you for your word. Help us to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.